Hi everyone and welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Thank you all very much for joining us once again this week as we continue our fantastic chat with the one and only Gian Rooney. Part two sees us go into the back end of her international swimming career, her post-swimming career on our television screens, and we get the crystal ball out as Gian gives us a few of her bold predictions for the upcoming 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Another jam-packed show to get to, so let's not wait any longer. Clear your schedules for the next hour, turn the volume up, because part two of our interview with Gian Rooney starts... Now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Vanderhoeven's head. But the symmetry of all eyes is the great Madam Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats. Phelps in the black hats. And Phelps has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe to the front. Thorpe on the hall. Thorpe goes in. Australia win. Another massive moment for you, and we talked about it earlier, this was to be your swan song, was the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne. Um, special for you in a few different ways. Obviously, it was at the pool that you were training at, but also... Um, I think Grant Hacker was injured, um, yep. and you you got um, announced as the as the Australian swim team captain. Now, given this this podcast and the chat that we've had, I already wrote this down as it would have been a, a massive honour for you. But given the the enormity that you place on the team aspect and being a part of the team and how much you love it, it must have been a massive honour for you to be the captain of that team. It was a huge honour. Um... It was extraordinary. I didn't, certainly didn't feel like I deserved it. And I certainly also knew that the only reason I was team captain yeah. was because Hacky was injured well, <laughs> and I wasn't on the I team. Just, I felt like so, I had no, to give you can absolutely to the story, say was, it because, um, yeah. no, everyone was aware of that and no one more so than myself. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was a huge honour, but in context, it, it was, um, you know, it was quite a different story. But, uh, I, I did feel very honoured that they had that faith in me, but um, it it also it did add an extra bit of pressure mm. because I was 23 years old um, and I had made the decision that I hadn't told anyone else about at that point in time that six months prior to Commonwealth Games, uh, I had had a light bulb moment in training where I was swimming up and down in the pool that we were going to race in and Commonwealth Games in a, you know, six months' time. And I had the first realisation in my career that I was proud of myself, that I was proud of what I had achieved and that I, you know, I took stock of each high and low and milestone moment that I'd had in my career and I realised I was proud of myself. And then I had another realisation of, well, if I don't win another gold medal going forward, will that change? And I thought, no, because I still will have had the achievements that I've had and I'll still be proud of those achievements. And then very quickly after that came the realisation that if I was thinking those thoughts, then I probably had maybe lost the point 
0.001% of hunger that is required and often the distance, it, uh, the difference in a sport that's won and lost by a hundredth of a second of winning races. Mm. Um, so I knew in that moment that I was ready for Commonwealth Games to be my last meet and I was ready to see what challenges and opportunities I could do I could have after swimming and I thought funnily enough I thought if I died tomorrow would the only thing that anyone would be able to say at my funeral was the fact that I could swim fast mm. <laughs> yeah and I realized that I wanted to do other things or I wanted to have the opportunity to prove that swimming I, while I was very proud of it I also didn't want it to define me. Mm. And so um, I had all that behind me and I lined up at Commonwealth Games um, with all of that behind me, no one knew that this was going to be my last meet, Australian swim team captain, and I was looking for the fairy tale finish and it didn't quite happen. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you still, you know, managed to finish up there on the day as you got your two silver medals. One was in the 100 backstroke. Uh, and one was for the 50. Now, the 50 was a little bit controversial, I guess you could say, with your teammate Sophie Eddington um, being announced as the gold medal winner by 0 0.01 of a second. However, upon video uh, review, it did show that you had touched the wall first. I mean, does, how does that sit with you now? Um, it's funny because, again, I hate the way that this all ended for me and it took me a long time to reconcile the fact that I didn't get the fairy tale finish that I that I wanted and that I had tried so hard for mm. so to explain um <laughs> once again uh the previous year 2005 I won the 50 backstroke at the world championships in Montreal so I was the world champion in the 50 back um I knew that uh you know the 100 back had been had been slowly not, I just wasn't as competitive as I used to be. Sophie was flying and had been incredible over the 100 backstroke and the 200 backstroke as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, she got the medley relay spot in front of me at the World Championships the prior year. Um, I knew she was the one to beat in the 100. She did win the 100 back. But the 50 back was the final event on the program for me. And it was so it was my last ever swim. And as I said, only I knew that. Yeah. So I put everything into that one last race and I was so excited that I was going to do this properly and I was going to finish with a bang. I'm the reigning world champion and this is my swan song. And so I had a great 50 back. I felt using my peripheral vision as much as you can um, in the madness that is a 50 dash, I felt that I was in front and I felt that I was going to win that, especially with the immediacy of the athletes on either side of me. And so anyway, when I touched the wall and I looked up at the board, expecting to see that I'd won, I have this distinct memory. And I, I question now whether it was a memory or whether it was my brain wanting it to look like that. Yeah. But I remember seeing my name flash up with a one next to it and then very quickly disappearing and the screen going blank, and then when it came back, I'd lost by a hundredth of a second, yeah. and there was a two next to my name. So 
I just stared at the scoreboard for what seemed like an eternity going, it will change back. Mm. It will change back. There's been a mistake. It will change back. And it didn't. And I could not comprehend what was happening because I felt very sure that I had won that race. So anyway, I got out of the pool with not a smile on my face at all. I was in complete shock of what had just happened. Um, And anyway, what went on to happen was this really strange sequence of events. Um, Before I had even got out of the pool, I um, had been labelled a bad loser and bad sportsmanship because I didn't smile or I, 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 you know, getting out of the pool. Um, And then I... I walked past and said, I'm sorry, I don't want to talk to Nicole Livingston, who was doing the post-race interview. Yep. And that's my one regret. I wish that I'd done that. Yeah. Um, but I just, I knew that I couldn't hold it together. I knew I was going to burst into tears and I didn't know how to do that on national television yeah. at that point in time um, because I hadn't been able to compute it in my brain and then anyway unbeknownst to me they were showing replays um on channel nine but underwater footage and all the rest of it that actually showed that i did touch the wall first yeah um but so australian swim team actually did lodge a protest um but that um video footage was not taken into consideration at that point in time Mm. um so I had no choice, but as, and again, awful situation when you're the Australian swim team captain mm. and that's your last ever race. No one knows that you've lost by a hundredth of a second, even though you strongly believe that you've won and, um, you know, and you're labeled a bad loser as well. So it was an awful way for me to go out in my swimming career um one of the tv networks actually did a whole story uh today tonight did a whole story on how i was robbed of a commonwealth (laughs) games gold medal um but i also you know i also felt really bad for sophie at that point in time um in the fact that you know, she strongly believed that she won that race. I strongly believe that I won that race. Mm. I it, it would have been a lot easier if Sophie had been an athlete from another country, because yeah. then you know I could we could almost have a a rivalry that that um, wasn't looked at in the same way. But we were teammates and we had a very healthy respect for each other. And you know, I certainly didn't want to belittle Sophie's performance by trying to. Um, by trying to, you know, stand up for myself, I guess. So it was a really awkward position, an awful position to be in. And then on top of it, I knew that I was never going to get a chance to rectify it or, yeah. you know, prove it because that I had made the decision that that was my last swim. Yeah. So then when I retired immediately after, it was an awful mix of emotions um, because I questioned, do I go until the next World Championships next year, which was back in Melbourne? And I realised that, you know, I didn't get the – I had to come to terms with the fact that the fairy tale finish wasn't mine to be had, but that I'd had overall a wonderful career and that it was important for me to be able to, to move on and do something different. So not, not exactly how I wanted to end, but um, still all these years later, it, um, it, uh, it, 
it has mixed emotions. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, just touching on that in terms of the the you know having interviews straight after your races and things like that, and the mixed emotions. It's it's rich coming from people saying how you should behave and how you should react, given that nobody really knows what they would be like in that situation. And all of these people that usually go around and commentate on that stuff would have no idea what it's like to you know do eight to nine to ten sessions a week. Um, in the pool, leading up to something to give it your all, um, and then you know, put on top of that that you knew this was going to be a last event. So, you know, I think it's a bit harsh. Yeah. I think at times we can certainly in Australia be a little bit critical of our athletes when probably if we paid if we sort of um, looked at it differently, we'd come up with. A different I completely outcome. agree with you, and if it, it it's also what I definitely try to bring to the table in my role as a commentator now mm. is that I can put myself in the shoes of most of the athletes of what they're going through yeah. in any race because I've been there. I've lost a race by a hundredth of a second. I've won a race by a hundredth of a second. I've had, you know, um, the highest of highs and I've had the lowest of lows and they've often come within 12 months of each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I definitely, there's two things for me that as a commentator, I always try to do the athlete justice because as I spoke to you about, you know, the commentary that was around my greatest moment in my sport, I believe I was hardly done by (laughs) in the commentary component of my greatest achievement. And so I always try to put myself in the athlete's shoes. I take my responsibility very, very seriously because quite often we as commentators are the ones telling the athlete's stories because they don't ever get a chance to tell their story themselves. So to get their facts right, to get their stories right and to show them in a positive light, I believe is the most important part of my job and one that I take very, very seriously. But it does give me, I believe, um, an extra advantage of being able to say, I don't, I'm not only guessing what's going through their head at this particular point in time, I know what's going through their head at this particular point in time. And so I feel that I am qualified to be able to say, um, whether I'm interviewing an athlete or whether I'm talking about an athlete, that sometimes what I'm going to say is not going to be particularly, um, positive or what maybe people expect to hear but it will always be very real analysis of what is happening and you know that's where I I get really quite furious when people um, say two things one when they say oh it's just a sport and I argue anyone that has played sport at that level knows that it's not just a sport it is your whole life every waking moment and every sleeping moment goes into you getting the best out of yourself not at the next competition but at the next training session so it is your whole life and it is a different level uh, to anything, to any sport that is played socially or for other reasons. Uh, so I definitely dispute that. And the other thing is um, there, I think Laurie Lawrence was the first one to say it, that there are two different types of silver medals. There's a silver medal for the athlete that uh, was ex- only expected to make the final or a silver medal who for the athlete who was only expected um you know to get fifth in that final and that silver medal should be applauded and celebrated to 
infinity and beyond because it is a step up and an extraordinary achievement for that particular athlete in those circumstances. But then there's a silver medal for the athlete that has been world champion at the two previous world championships, has, you know, um, stated and been expected to win that gold medal. And for them, that silver medal is a disappointment. And I've had it a number of times on both sides of the fence where a silver medal for the person at home watching or the person who hasn't played sport to that level will say, geez, you know, geez, they're a sore loser. They've got a silver medal. They should be happy with that. Why aren't they happy? Why is the commentator not pumping them up? Why is the person asking the questions, not congratulating them? That's a silver medal. Um, You know, and again, to understand that you don't do all of that training and that work and that, you know, be a previous world champion to happily accept a silver medal Yeah, because that's that's not what the dream is about. I think so Lisa went through a, a lot of that in her younger years as absolutely. well. Absolutely. And I, you know, even I, who was on the swim team with Lisa for most of her career yeah. um, as a couple of years older, I always defended Lisa. Um, because I still to this day, and it wasn't until I read her book that I properly understand what that poor kid was going through um, outside of the pool uh, with a lot of things that were going on um, with her experience. But, you know, I still to this day, I actually really like it when athletes don't perform how they want to perform and they're dirty about it. Yeah. It actually really annoys me when an athlete gets out of the pool having not performed well and says, oh, look, I guess it's just, um, you know, it's an honour to be here and, you know, um, yeah, I'll just, uh, you know, keep plugging away and, you know, maybe it'll come off next time. I want to see an athlete show emotion. I want to see an athlete be pissed off with their performance. I want to see an athlete get out of the pool and say, you know what? I am dirty at that and I've got no explanation for it right now. I don't know what went went on. I don't know what went wrong. But I'm going to go home. I'm going to work harder than I ever have before. I'm going to analyse what went wrong with my coach and I'm going to use it as motivation for the next competition to make sure that doesn't happen again. But that's what I want and that's what I want. And I don't think... I don't think people at home are going to properly understand the enormity of what athletes put themselves through to achieve those results unless an athlete is prepared to put themselves out there in that way. It's okay to be disappointed when something doesn't work. It's okay as long as you can, um, you know, use it to turn it around and use it as motivation for the next time. I, um, yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I think at times we do, we sort of miss those characters within our sport. And as soon as someone does sort of talk out like that, they're shot down really quickly. And I think, yep. you know, just, I agree I, with I, you. I'm, I'm with you. I think people should be able to speak their minds. I think if, if you're filthy about not getting something that you wanted, well, you should be allowed to be filthy. And yep. if, if we're not happy about that, then maybe we should be waiting to interview them and not having a shot at you guys or anything, but maybe we should be interviewing <laughs> them, you know, in, in 20 or half an hour later after the race. Exactly. But if we're going to be right in their face after it, well, you get what you yep. get. Yep, exactly right. And I think also, you know, it, it, it's 
as you said, we've shot down anyone. There's, for me, there's a very, very fine line between confidence and arrogance. Yeah. But I believe all of, for the most part, all of our Australian athletes have been on the right side of that line. And, of course, it is inherent in Australian sporting nature that we be humble mm. and that we be um, good winners, good losers. But I also think that that also squashes a lot of personalities in the fact that I don't see any problem, as we just spoke about, in being dirty at yourself when you haven't done, um, when you haven't been able to put to the, together the performance you know you're capable of. And I think the Americans are very good at this. They have, you know, a philosophy that um, if you can walk the walk, then you can talk the talk. Yeah. Whereas we don't even like our champions to be able to talk the talk we want them to you know downplay and uh i guess um belittle their achievements if possible um because we see that as being a good winner but i certainly don't think there's any problem with an athlete saying i'm really disappointed in that i'm angry at myself and i want to do everything in my power to rectify it come next time 100 percent now, we are going to start to transition into your second um, half of your career, which then becomes into TV. Um, you've been on our TV screens now, I think, since like 2007, so probably a year after you, you jumped out of the pool. I think you're on Getaway <laughs> and a few other shows. How was the transition from being an athlete into, into working life, and especially going into TV? I mean, was that something natural for you? or? Um. There's a lot of different stories out of um, transition for me. I, I guess to explain how I got to TV, um, I was very, very fortunate. I was sponsored by Channel 9 for the last few years of my career and uh, Gary Burns was the head of sport at Channel 9 during those years and he and I had had a few discussions and he often said to me, what do you want to do when you hang up the togs? And I said, look, I don't really know. And he said, well, what were you good at at school? And I said, well, I certainly wasn't good at maths or science, but my favourite subjects were English, yeah. modern history, like anything that involved reading, writing, grammar, vocabulary. And uh, he, said, um, he said, all right, well, we can work with that. So when you retire, when you hang up the togs, come and see me and I'll find you a job. <laughs> So that's exactly what I did and I had, yeah, I had never um, envisaged myself. I had done a lot of things on TV throughout my swimming career. So I'd done a lot of interviews with a lot of different uh, programs and shows and things like that and I had really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I don't, I think you probably tell that uh, conversation doesn't, isn't hard for me. No. As my parents said, I can talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles. So no, it's good, anyway. As I said uh, I, before, you're making me sound good, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed. I thoroughly enjoy still to this day talking to people, hearing people's stories, and understanding what makes people tick. And so I thought that I would start in TV as behind the scenes, um, you know, helping out with scripts, um, you know, a junior producer role, something like that. I never expected to find myself on TV as a presenter. And this was 2006. I walked straight out of the pool, straight into um, the offices at Channel 9 in, in Bendigo Street in Melbourne. And they were very okay with, back then, throwing you into every different genre of TV. Mm. And pardon the pun, you either sank or you swam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And um, so I was I'd given, I was given these opportunities to try all these different things and I, you know, was on the footy show at one stage. I, you know, did postcards, which is a Victorian travel show. Mm. I got to do Getaway. Um, I was very lucky that Channel 9 had still had the swimming. So when the World Championships were up around the following year in Melbourne, I was part of that um, commentary team. And I had incredible mentors and people that I looked up to from not only their sporting performances but from a transition and into a, a TV commentary position in Duncan Armstrong and Nicole Livingston. Uh, I still think Nicole is one of, if not the best, swimming commentators on the planet and I was so fortunate that I got to learn from her and uh, watch what she did and how well she did it and how she always put the athletes first. Um, so I was given all these opportunities and... Uh, you know, it was at the time in TV when there were a lot of spot. they made spots for people um, and they were very okay with you coming from an athlete background uh, into TV and there was almost a grace period where you weren't expected to be brilliant straight off the back, which was um, very fortunate for me because it certainly was a learning a learning process. Uh, but straight away I knew I was in the right industry because, as I always said to you, I loved racing. I loved – I had to actively work at getting myself nervous and excited before every race, and the bigger the meat, the better I swam. And so that that moment of standing on a block, knowing it all came down to me and the pressure that I felt at that point in time was the thing I loved most about swimming, and it was the exact same feeling that I used to have and still do now before I was doing a live cross on live TV. And so I knew that I had found my next challenge and what I wanted to put my stamp on. And then on top of it, I still had my work ethic from swimming. And on top of that, I still had this very real desire to prove to myself and to other people that I could do other things other than swim. So I had a lot of things pushing me and motivating me and I had a employer in the likes of Channel 9 that allowed me to do that at that particular time. So I was very grateful, made my transition very easy and I got to leave my sport with no real regrets, ready for the next challenge and walked straight into something that I loved just as much as as what I had done previously. So I, I, I feel very, very fortunate that um, those doors opened up for me. Now, you're not just a swimming legend or TV personality. You're a wife, you're a mum to two kids and, uh, and yep. Lexi. Um, yep. Given that I have a little girl myself now, Charlie, um, what tips have you got for me in terms of trying to balance home and work life? Because, look, I'll be honest with you, it's not easy at no. the moment, um, trying to, you know, learn how to do this podcast thing, <laughs> be the best coach I can be as well, whilst making sure, you know, you're still home to see Charlie's first, you know, whatever she's about to yes. do, her first whatever, um, still making sure you're, you're there for your wife and, you you know, you're making sure you're still listening and, you know, participating in everything you're supposed <laughs> to be at home as well. It is difficult, yep. let's be honest, to be the best you know, you can be at everything in your life. How do you manage to find the balance? Or have you, you um, know, are you still are you still trying to find it? I was about to say, <laughs> if you manage to find the secret to the balance, can you please <laughs> let me know? <laughs> um, hilariously, I very much remember walking away from swimming and saying, not only thinking, but saying, 
well, at least I know the hardest thing I will ever do in my life is now behind me. <laughs> and I believed that statement yeah. until I had children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? Um, it is the hardest thing I have ever done. And um, that is to certainly by no means take away that it is the greatest thing I've ever yeah, done 100%. either. But it is the hardest thing I've ever done. And it's because, um, you know, swimming, as everyone knows, is a, at the end of the day a very selfish venture. Uh, you do you put everything into it and you get everything that you put into it out of it in the best-case scenario. Mm. Uh, whereas being a mother and being a working mother and being a mother that still has her own, her own goals and own things and challenges that I want to achieve um, and trying to define what that looks like while not putting my needs first, yeah. yet knowing that I still need to be challenged <laughs> um, personally is really, really difficult. Yeah. And I am the first person, anyone that follows me on social media will know that I'm the first person to put my hand up and say that and to keep it real because I am certainly it's the first time in my life that I have felt failure like proper failure um is being a parent and going I don't know if I'm any good at this yeah. I actually don't know if I'm cut out for this I don't actually know if I should have had children because I honestly more often than not feel like I'm getting something wrong and it's only by chatting to people that are in the same situation as me other parents like you exactly what you said uh if you're at work you feel guilty about not being at home if you're at home you feel guilty about not you know achieving or going after your own dreams and goals there is no easy way to be a parent uh, I will say it again, there is no easy, whether you were a working parent, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, there is no easy way to be a parent. And I just, um, I think the fact that we worry about being a good parent shows that we are a good parent yeah. because we're always trying to, or I feel like, you know, my husband and I, we both travel for work and we both spend time away from our kids. And I, you know, often question of am I putting my needs in front of them but I also want to provide a, a, a lifestyle and a future for them where they have every opportunity that I did and so I also feel that I need to be a parent that is confident in my own abilities and that I'm still challenging myself and still achieving uh that might look very different to what I used to achieve, but that I'm still achieving for me to be a good parent. So I need that um, as much as I need to, uh, you know, um, spend quality time with my kids. So I think the only thing that I've realised is that there will always be a guilt. There will always be um, that you're not giving enough time to one area of your life, but that we are all just jugglers. We are all just keeping the balls in the air. And quite often we pay the most attention to whatever ball is going to drop first. And that's the only way that I can look at it. But on, on those, you know, peppered amongst the chaos are these magical moments and uh you know that's what you live for that's what you strive for and the end goal is to to have more of those magic moments than not and uh you know making memories that 
you know, hopefully my kids look back one day and, and go, you know, you, 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 I don't remember you being there for every milestone of mine, but, um, you know, you were always engaged when you were here and you were always, you know, you showed me that, uh, you know, uh, that it's important to have goals and dreams and to go after them and to work hard and to hopefully be kind and uh, give everyone the same respect that you would like to see shown to yourself. Very well. And then if I get all that right, then I've done a good job. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. Um, now, just bringing it back to your commentary, um, you've commentated alongside some of the great sort of play-by-play callers. And I mentioned earlier my admiration for Ray Warren, who I still think yes. is the greatest swimming commentator um, yes. I've ever heard. What did you learn from Rabs? Did you pick up any, any you know, broadcasting tips? Um, I learned so much from Rabs, absolutely. Um, amazingly, I, I hope that he wouldn't mind me saying this, but Rab's more than anything that sticks out for me that, as you said, for, for most people, he is the voice of sport. Yeah. So many sports he has, he has lent his voice to. Um, it is so recognisable, so iconic, so strong, so powerful, so exciting. As you said, one of, one of if not the best commentators we've had yeah that's just my yeah. opinion other people might yes think yes no but, but most era. people a lot of people agree with you yeah and it was incredible for me to see that rab's his greatest um enemy is himself yeah because he if he got one word wrong or if he said one thing that wasn't right he would beat himself up for the next 24 hours he so cares about getting it right and he so cares about his position and what he says and when he says it and what context it is in that he is so hard on himself that it almost um, – he's his own worst enemy yeah. is the best way to put it. Yeah. And that was really eye-opening for me because I saw the, the Ray Warren that I – thought I knew before I sat alongside him in a commentator's role was that of invincibility and knew everything about everything and was just brilliant and couldn't put a foot wrong. So to see him beat himself up um, was actually really eye-opening for me and it, it, it taught me one of two things. Uh, I was very, I'm very lucky that I've had lots of people that I've learned off in the world of TV yeah. and um you know, he was one where it actually taught me that it's very hard to be a perfectionist in this game. Mm. It's very hard because your voice is on a recording. Mm. So it's not like you say it once and everyone can forget it. It is there for all time. It's not like the podcast and where we can edit it a bit later. Exactly <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, you don't get a chance to redo it. And on top of that, the responsibility to the athlete, like I explained about my magical moment in sport being destroyed mm. through commentary, um, you know, you want to get it right for the athlete for their moment. Yeah. And Rabs took that so seriously and I absolutely 
absolutely commend him for that. So I feel very fortunate that I got to work alongside him and, you know, many others in both sporting and other genres of TV that have, it's very true what they say, especially I think in radio and in TV, for those that make make it look and sound easy, shows how incredibly good that they are. Yeah. And there's very few that can do it well. Um, you've been witness to many great swims uh, sitting up in that commentary box. Do you have any standouts? Does any stay in Oh, the gosh. So many, so many. But um, I think I probably have to uh, pull out the, probably the one that I never saw coming, the one that I was completely blindsided by. And that was Kyle Chalmers winning the 100 freestyle at the 2016 Rio Olympics. Yeah, yeah, good one. Um, you know, as you said, there's been plenty of amazing moments, plenty of extraordinary swims, but I never factored Kyle winning that 100 free. I knew that he was good. I knew that he was an athlete to watch. I knew that he was going to have an incredible future, but I... Still watch replays and don't know how he won that race. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. from being fifth at the 50 meter mark and being nowhere, yeah. nowhere. And especially in a 100 freestyle swim, as we all know, and this is what the Americans are so good at. If there is an American in the race in contention of a 100 meter distance, they win. Mm. They just find a way to get their fingers on the wall first. They're extraordinary races. And I just never factored Kyle Chalmers turning fifth at the 50-metre mark and mowing down Nathan Adrian. <laughs> no, I have to 100% agree I, I with you. Didn't, I just didn't, just never saw it coming. And so for me, that is one of the greatest swims I've ever witnessed because I just didn't factor it a possibility. <laughs> I remember just myself watching it, like obviously at home, but, um, you know, you watch the heats and you saw the way, he's, you know, he back ends his races. So I think, okay, well, that, that was a really good heat. He got to the semis and, yep. you know, he did well in the semis. But there's just – I just kept thinking, well, surely he can't do that in the final. Someone's going to find a way to just, you know, get out a little bit quicker or yep. just find a way to maybe save a little bit of energy on the front end so that, the, you know, he can't get them. Surely not. Yep. And then, uh, yep. yeah, sure enough, <laughs> we're watching yep. it and uh, he charges past. I think surely not. Surely yep. not. Actually, no, he's going to do it. And, and there he yep. goes. So, yeah, I 100% agree. <laughs> it was a crazy one. Um, I, hope, I hope that's not the last time I'm no. talking about Kyle either because, yeah. uh, you know, he's an extraordinary athlete and I've always said that I just hope that um, we can keep him in swimming long enough mm. to have those magical moments for the next, uh, you know, foreseeable future if we don't lose him to AFL. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, what did you think about the last or the recent world champs in Korea? Like some are saying it was – one of the best meets in quite some time in terms of performances and, and world records and, and racing. What do you think of it? How long have we got, Robbie? <laughs> we need, we need, we could have a five hour podcast on the recent world championships. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I, it was, it's one of the first ones where I've sat at home and had to watch it on a, on a screen. Mm. And so 
from that point, I actually really enjoyed it because obviously the pressure is off me. I just get to enjoy it as a swimming fan yeah. rather than actually having to talk about it. Um, it was an amazing world championships. I think it's one of the most um, memorable, controversial, yeah. powerful um performance orientated world championships in a long long time probably since 2009 world championships in rome which was the the super suit era when we it was something ridiculous like 13 world records were broken at the one meet it was expected um, all by yep, yep exactly right it was controversial beyond measure, uh, whereas this one was controversy for so many different reasons. Performances were extraordinary. I was so proud of the Australian swim team. We had a lot of great performances from our swim team, um, relays particularly, which often you know shows the depth of a team more than any other factor. But I think it's, it was even surprising to me to get to the end of the meet from an Australian swim team point of view and look at the fact that we still only had one individual gold medal mm. in Ariane Titmus in that yeah. 400 free. That was our only individual gold medal. So while there was plenty of wonderful um, performances, it still shows that we do have a bit of work to go towards Tokyo in just under 12 months' time for Olympics next year. Yeah. But they're all very positive signs that we're heading in the right direction. And, you know, the swim team has gone through a massive, I guess, um, a, a last few years that have been all over the shop. And I think we're, we're all heading in the right direction in terms of, of where our performances are heading and getting back to that that point of our strengths and doing what we do well. I think we doubted ourselves for a while. Um, and I, I, wanted, I want to get back to, and I think we are getting back to, the, the confident Australian swim team that we used to be, that we can mix it with the rest of the world and that, yes, we have a small population, but, yes, we, are, we deserve our place as one of the world's superpowers in the sport of swimming. So from that point of view, it was a very positive world championships for me. Yeah. Now, you mentioned there Tokyo 2020, and it's just a year away now. So given what we saw in Korea at the world champs, I'm going to give you a crystal ball. Now, it's only a yep. cheap one, so don't drop it. We only have a small budget here. Um, so I'm going to throw some scenarios at you, and I just want you to look into the crystal ball, the $2 cheap crystal ball, yep. and tell me what you see. Okay. So I've got um, here the women's 400 freestyle. I've got Ariane Titness and Katie Ledecky eyeing each other off on the blocks. Yep. They dive in. What do you see happening next? I see Ariane winning it. Yeah. Um. I predicted that at World Championships, the women's 400 free would be one of the swims of the meet, mm. and I think I was right. Yeah, it, was really uh, it has come to light after that event that Katie was sick, mm -hmm. and she actually spent some time in a Korean hospital. Yeah. So, but that is not to take away from Ariane's performance. Yeah, not at all. And what that did mentally for both athletes, I think, tells the story of what happens at Tokyo next year because mentally for Ariane, she's never been phased by Katie Ledecky. She's never seen her as this superhuman athlete, which we all look at her as. Mm. She's never th been threatening to Ariane. And so that 
for me was the fact that Ariane won that race, regardless of Katie's health, regardless of where Katie was, regardless of the fact it's 12 months out of Olympics, that is all the motivation and all the confidence that Ariane needs to do it, regardless of where Katie is at next year. Whereas, and same goes for Katie, it's the first time she's been beaten in international competition. Yep. So regardless of her being unwell, it puts a tiny chink in her armour. Yeah. And at Olympics, confidence a little bit. correct. Mm. And at an Olympics, that's all it needs is a tiny chink. So that doesn't mean for me, that's not saying that Katie doesn't come away with a heap of gold medals. I just believe that 400 belongs now to Ariane. It's funny, I, was, I asked Thorpey just the other day, he was here at the pool doing um, a meet and greet with some of the kids, and I asked him the same question. I said, what do you see for that? And he, uh, yeah, he, he agrees. He said, Ariane. Yep. Um, he Good. Agrees. Let's hope we're both right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the next one, uh, we've got the men's 400. Now, firstly, this is a two-part, so you've got to look at the crystal. Oh, twice. gosh. So, yep. firstly, do you see Sun Yang there? Is he there? Yes. Okay, so he's there. All right, so now, yep. that, now that he's there, that was quick. Yeah. Him and Mac Horton, they're next to each other. How does that pan out? Wow. Um, I probably need to preface the answer to this mm -hmm. um, with I was blown away by Mac's 400 freestyle at the World Championships yep. because after seeing him at Australian Championships in April, where he didn't swim, so he was injured. And then to see him at World Championship Trials, where he was a shadow of his former self, didn't swim well at all. For him to turn it around five weeks later and forget second place, forget silver medal, focus solely on the time and the swim that Mac put together at World Championships, I was blown away by what it took as an athlete to produce that performance from Mac. So for me, the, the respect I had for Mac, even as an Olympic champion, mm -hmm. yeah. the respect I had for Mac went up another level yeah. for me at world championships. I still, I still don't know what happens in the 400 free at next year's Olympics because both athletes now have such a motivation to win that gold medal. Yeah have such a motivation. I believe Sun Yang will be there because if everything is true of what he says it is happened in that now controversial drug test where the blood, the vial of blood was smashed, mm -hmm. um, if the facts are that the testers did not have the proper identification on them, the fact that he was being filmed without his consent and the fact that um, it, it wasn't shaping up to be by the books, yep. if all that is true, then I believe that he not did the right thing by smashing the vial of blood. I don't think there's ever the right thing to be done there. However, I would have been sceptical about providing a sample under those circumstances as well. Yeah. Because from his point of view, if they if the testers weren't properly accredited and therefore not eligible to be there, then that sample could have been tainted. Yeah. So I'm not as I said, I I 
there's there's every possibility that in this upcoming trial he will be cleared of any wrongdoing. He's already been issued a warning for um, whether it was his mother or whether it was his security guard that smashed the vial of blood. He didn't personally do it. But for destroying a sample, I believe there needs to be a, a, a penalty in place because that we cannot see that as an option in the future. However, I don't believe they will stop him from swimming at the Olympics next year off the back of that scenario. Up With Mac, yep. Sorry, go Mac has lost, you know, he's gained the respect of the fellow athletes around the world for, sta- for staging a, a, a podium protest. However, he has lost some big sponsorship deals. Mm. He is seen as controversial um, by and a cowboy, if you like, by the corporate world. And that adds a lot of pressure to an athlete as well when you need to prove that you are on the right side of justice and by doing that by performance only. Um, so there's a lot of pressure to be placed on Mac Horton's shoulders over the next 12 months. If I had a crystal ball, I am actually going to say that the pressure will get too much for both those athletes and we might see someone else step up onto the gold medal position on that podium. And outside Smokey. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's Mac, but I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, up next, I've got what surely will be one of the races of the meet, the men's 100 freestyle. Uh, we've got yep. Caleb Dressel and we've got our oh. man Kyle Chalmers, who's just recently had some surgery. Yes. Um, his third lot of heart surgery. Yep. Yeah. Now, I loved this was one of my favorite races for the world champs as well, just given yep. the fact of how Kyle races and you knew that he was going to, you know, try and back end it, but Caleb will be out early. So nothing yep. is really going to change too much in terms of their race plans. How do you see that playing out? Um, again, I agree with you. This was one of the races of the meet and Caleb Dressel, who a lot of people have been touting as the next Michael Phelps came away with six gold medals from world championships. Five, six, one of the two. I lost count. Yep. Yep. Um, Extraordinary. So he is touted as the next Michael Phelps of American swimming. Um, I love that he stands up and says, I'm the first Caleb Dressel Mm. of USA swimming. Um, Don't compare me to Michael Phelps. Um, uh, He's an extraordinary athlete in his own right. And he, by his own words, said, I needed Kyle Chalmers in that race to swim that time. Mm. He was the one that pushed me to that time. So these two are going to have an extraordinary rivalry, you know, for um, years to come. And I love the fact that Kyle, again, is the underdog coming into an Olympics. Yeah. So I love the fact that he, once again, even as, you know, the Olympic champion from what will be four years prior, I believe the money will be on Caleb Dressel to win it. However, as I said to you before, if anything has taught me anything about Kyle Chalmers, it is to never underestimate him. And the more that he is underestimated, the more that he seems to be able to put together something extraordinary. So I hope that between now and then, Kyle and his coach, Peter Bishop, put together a lot of race practice and that he has a lot of race, um, you know, opportunities. 
because as I said, the Americans, that's the best thing that they are at is finding a way to win in those really tight finishes. And I just, I think both athletes are maybe going to play with their race tactics a little bit. Mm. Kyle knows that he's got to go out a little bit faster. And that's why I want Kyle to keep the 200 free as part of his preparation because the 200 free strengthens his endurance on that back end even more so. So if he can find a bit more speed in that first 50, yet trust himself that he's still got that capable back end from his 200 training, I'm going to say Kyle wins it again. Kyle wins again. I hope it's true. I really do. I so think do it'll I. Be a massive I really moment hope it's true. It, yeah, yep. It'll be at the last, you know, five, seven metres he'll be charging yep. over the top, but yeah, it'll be a yep. massive moment for sure. Yep, absolutely. That could very well be a hundredth of a second yeah. race. Let's not talk yep. about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the final task for our crystal ball is given all your experience in and around the team with the commentary and, and your swimming, how do you feel the Aussies are going to go in the pool at the next Olympics? Uh, I think they're going to go really, really well. I, um, as I said, World Championships was a great meet uh, as, as the World Championships leading into an Olympics for the Australian swim team. We had a lot of young ones step up. Uh, we had a lot of people jump a gear. And I think that's what you want to see 12 months out from an Olympics because we, we need that confidence within our athletes because I've always said that an Olympics is not necessarily about the fastest athlete who wins an olympic gold medal it's the athlete that deals with the enormity of the olympics the best Mm. and no one more than kate campbell understands that sentiment um better uh so if they can take away the enormity and the pressure of an olympics and use that to their advantage which i do believe a lot did at world championships by stepping up when it counted then i think they can put together a really good olympics and uh, as i said there's still work to be done but very exciting for our relays very exciting for um i think as i said i think the likes of ariane titmus is going to have a blinder uh and I do more than anything. I would love Kate Campbell to get that fairy tale. I'd love her to continue on the path that she's going where she is so consistent over that 100 free. And if I could get into the pool and push her along that last five metres, for her to win that 100 freestyle gold, I would do it because what will be her fourth Olympics one of the most consistent athletes across the board of world swimming over the last... 10 years um i just think more than anyone she deserves it yeah she deserves it so i'd like to see that happen and i I wouldn't be the only one even her rivals in the pool i think would like to see that happen for kate well i hope you're right i i i tend to agree with you given what we've seen i think um you know the olympics are shaping up even not just for the aussies but i think it's going to be some really good racing i totally agree how exciting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, I've got some rapid-fire questions for you, so just try and answer them as best and as quickly as you can, all right? Okay. Uh, thoughts on the International Swimming League? A good thing because it provides international racing, um, high-quality racing, and the athletes can earn a dollar, so I like it. Very good. Best swimmer in the world at the moment? Sorry, what was that? Best swimmer in the world at the moment. Oh, um, 
I'm going to have to say Caleb Dressel yeah. off the back of World Championships. Yeah. Uh, he just looked in control in every swim that he was uh, a part of, and I just I think he is the next superstar of world swimming. If you could change or introduce one thing to our sport, what would it be? Great question. If I could change or introduce. Yeah, sometimes you know, um, people sit there with some ideas and oh, I wish we could do that. Good question. I <laughs> very, very selfishly, I wish that there were 50 form strokes as part of the Olympic program back when I was swimming. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I love the introduction of mixed relay yeah me too um into the sport i was very skeptical at the start very very skeptical but i love the fact that um we're still figuring out tactically how to race them therefore it's a very exciting uh concept yeah. uh so i like the inclusion of that um I don't know if I would include anything off the top of my head or change anything. Um, I just I, I hope the sport continues to combat um, uh, wrongdoing in our sport. Mm. So I hope that we we are able to stay on par with those trying to beat the drug system. Yep. What about best swimmer in your opinion of all time? Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps. I just, yep, I, for me, I, I can't fathom an, how an athlete can go to five Olympic Games. Mm. That, 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 for me, for someone who retired at the age of 23, um, after two Olympics, the, the, the mental strength, let alone the physical capacity to go to five Olympics, but to then throw in at your fifth Olympics that you are still capable of winning individual Olympic gold medals, for me, is mind-boggling. Yeah. Absolutely mind-boggling. And, you know, I always thought Phelps that in 2016 in Rio was going to be an integral part of relays. I could not fathom how he could still be standing atop the individual winner's podium yeah. at that age. Um after that length of career. So for me, he is just the best. He's the GOAT. Yep. Uh, the final one, and this is more from a commentator's point of view, if you could go back in the in the past and commentate one of the swimmers that are no longer either no longer with us or just no longer swimming anymore, do you have anyone? Wow, I've never thought about this before. Um, I actually... Maybe not from a commentary point of view, but there's a couple of athletes that I would have actually liked to have just watched them race mm. more, um, you know, and just sit there and enjoy the moment more. Um, one, funnily enough, is Jodie Henry, yeah. who I swam, was fortunate enough to be on the swim team with over that period of time between 2001 and 2004. Five, I think, was her last international meet. Um, but when she was at her strength in 2004, I've, I've just never seen a, a female 100 freestyler make it look so easy, I don't think. So I would have loved Jodie to have swum for longer and to have been able to um, have had more of those magical moments because I think she had more of those in her. 
Um, I think I saw her not so, long ago, one of those legend relays, Gian, and she still looked, I can't remember if it was this year or the, yeah. or the one last year, but she, yeah. st- she still looked a yep. treat in the water. She was uh, just powering absolutely. away. Yep, powering away. Um, so, yeah, she, she's one I would have loved to have seen swim more. Um, and, yeah, I, I funnily enough, I would have... I would have loved to have seen more of the rival. One of the greatest races for me was um, when Ian Thorpe almost took up the 100 freestyle for a time there. And you had in that 100 free, I think it was around Athens, you had Thorpey, you had Peter Vanden Hoogenband, you had Michael Phelps in the race, you had um, like just really big names, you know, in that event that was just the whole lineup um, was just extraordinary. And I'm trying to think if Popov was still in that around that time as well, Alexander Popov, the great Russian. So I would have loved to have, you know, I look forward to the day when that happens again, where we have a final where every single one lining up in a final is a name and has had an achievement of some description, you know, in the, in the, in the swimming world, Yeah, you know, where you almost don't know who to cheer for. Yeah, that, That's what I want. I think that's why we're so excited for Dressel versus Chalmers as well. Cause it's yes. just two big yep. boys who we know are capable of, of producing and they're just going to go at it. Yep. Absolutely. And that's it. If you, if you could line them up and have eight of them yeah. where you just, you know, it's coming down to the final few strokes, that would be Nirvana for me. <laughs> <laughs> now, Gian, I like to finish all my chats with just some less serious questions that are totally yes. unrelated to swimming. So before we finish up here, I'm just going to hit you with five random questions. So just answer these okay. as best you can. So describe yes. your life using a movie title. Sliding doors. Sliding doors. Good one. If you were prime minister for a day, would you make any changes? Oh my goodness! I um I don't think you could make any changes in a day in prime minister as being as prime minister. Um, I, I would attempt to, but I certainly don't think I am smart enough nor qualified enough to be running the country. I reckon you'd have a few. I reckon you'd have a few good ideas. Um, if you could take credit for writing any song, what would it be? Oh, um, this is probably going to come very out of left field, but I absolutely, it's not the most famous song in the world. It's not the most um, known song in the world, but I love Beyonce's song, I Was Here, Um, you know, and the lyric, I I can't sing to save my life, but the lyrics say, (laughs) I I was here, you know, I lived, I loved, I was here, I did, I've done all the things that I've wanted, um, and it was more than I thought it would be. And I think that's, for me, it sums up, why we're all here and what we're trying to do at the end of the day regardless of what we've achieved in our lives personally we want to be remembered and we want to leave a legacy and we want to feel that in some way shape or form we have lived a good life and that we are 
deserved of that recognition of living a good life and being a good person. So that song, it just makes me really emotional, yeah. I think. Good one. Yeah. No, good one. I like that one. Um, you're on death row. What's your last meal? Oh, my goodness. What is my last meal? Um, I'm going to have an entree of, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have an entree of Moreton Bay bug and prawn fettuccine. Yes. So a pasta dish with Moreton Bay bug and prawn. And for Maine, I am going to have a beef bourguignon that the meat just falls apart when I put my fork into it on a sweet potato mash yep. with asparagus. Are you sure you haven't put and thought going, into this? It sounds very I, well thought No, out. this is this is just, <laughs> yeah, I'm tr- I, I, I am a foodie. I love yeah. all foods. There's very little that I won't eat. So this is actually quite a tough question. <laughs> but then my – and then dessert is so either going cheeky. to be – I said one meal. A lemon – <laughs> well, a <laughs> meal can consist of a few components. No, no, so no, I'm no, going to no, then no. have a – and I'm going to have a beautiful glass of Shiraz yep. with the main. Mm. Um, I'm going to then have – with. Dessert, which is either lemon meringue pie or a sticky date pudding, I am going to have an espresso martini oh, with that. Very nice. <laughs> very nice. I tell you what, I'm getting, I'm hungry now. <laughs> I'm hungry. Uh, mate, I'll finish up with the last one. If you're stuck in an elevator, a large elevator, and you've got three oh. people there with you, could be anyone, could be family, but could be celebrities, could be anyone. What three people would you have in there with you? Well, I'm actually not – I'm going to say exist outside of family because if, if that's the option, then I, I there's no choice yeah, yeah. for okay. me. Right. I, yeah, I've got my immediate that. family yeah. in. So take family yep. out of it. They if go I've got it. So I've got three others. Yep. Three others. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say um, – I'm going to say the Dalai Lama mm-hmm. um, because – I would love to. Um, I'd love to hear about how he finds peace and contentment, and has faith in the world when there is so much to not negativity yes. and bad stuff to not have faith in. Yep, yep. So, so how does he maintain the love and the faith for the world? Um, I would like Oprah Winfrey, mm. which I know sounds very cliche, but her her stories would be yeah. amazing. Of yeah. the people she's met, the ex- experiences she's had, the influence she's had, I would love to just listen to her speak. Mm. Um, and the third person, really, really hard, but maybe um, maybe someone, um, maybe uh, so- someone who has done so much internationally for the even like a tim costello who who headed up um world vision um or mother Teresa, or someone that has been so selfish selfless in their life how have you been so selfless in your life and never um you know always put others first and and been able to maintain that so someone along those lines 
They're my three. I tell you what, you wouldn't get a word in. You'd be able to sit there and just take it all in. Yep. And that would be perfect because I just I just want to learn and, and listen yeah. to and, and be able to, yes, um, take it all in. Yeah, no, good one. Now, Gian, I just want to thank you very much once again for agreeing to come on today for a chat. Um, it's been a year in the making, as we talked about earlier, and I, I genuinely do appreciate it. Uh, not many people would have been as patient or as nice as you've, you've been in your management. <laughs> so um, thank you very much. Um, I wish you all the best with your TV work on Channel 7, commentary for the trials and, and the Olympics next year, and hopefully our crystal ball predictions uh come true and we'll be all watching and listening to your call as we have been for many years and I know you'll kill it as you always do so thank you very much once again for coming on off the block swimming podcast oh Robbie it's been an absolute pleasure we've talked for hours we, and we literally have, loved yes. it and lost track of time <laughs> yeah. which is always a sign of a good chat yeah. um, we solved a few of the world's problems hey, we did. we've <laughs> Uh, we've, we've stirred into a crystal ball and as I completely agree with you, I hope that our predictions come true and more so than anything, I just hope uh, the sport that I love, the sport of swimming, which has given me so much, continues to gain even more momentum in the Australian psyche and I feel very privileged to have been a part of it on, on a couple of sides of the fence. So um, thanks for having me on. No worries. Thank you very much. Thank you all for downloading and listening to part two of our fantastic interview with Gian Rooney. I genuinely hope you enjoyed it as much as I did bringing it to you guys. Stay tuned on Off The Blocks in two weeks' time for another massive interview, this time with current Australian team member and Commonwealth Games gold medalist Jack McLaughlin. If you're new to our show, make sure you go back and listen to season one of Off The Blocks with some great interviews with Libby Trickett, Jess Shipper, Elijah Winnington and a whole lot more. Until then though, it's bye for now.